Turn with me to Psalm 37. I'm trying to figure out where I want to start. As I said, I have an encouraging word for us tonight. Don't mess it up. You just amen real sweet and pretty like, and we'll stay encouraging. <laughs> it's been rolling around in me um, lately. Uh, we cannot forget that God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And even in that verse in Hebrews, even that relates to God as a master with servants. He's a rewarder. The term rewarder means he that holds the bag that pays wages. So it's kind of a boss allegory. Um, we want to make sure that we, we know that verse, but we also don't keep it there. God isn't just our boss. He's also our father. And so you want to make sure that you don't just always view him as a boss. I've shared with you when I came over into the things of God in college, uh, I served God out of obligation and duty because that's what I knew. Um, it's just, it's just how I was. I had a strong work ethic. My dad put it in me. We were brought up doing chores. We were brought up with responsibilities. I'm sure my dad uh, got whipped a lot. Um, I'm sure he thought I could have been more responsible and fulfilled more obligations. But we were taught you don't play before you work. And so we always had a list of chores. So when I came over uh, into the kingdom or started serving God on my own in college, I could only relate to God in a sense, in a work sense, in a work connotation. I, you know, I'd worked at a vegetable farm in high school, so I had a strong work ethic. And then I'm working for a mobile home dealership in college. And so I know how to work. And it wasn't that I didn't have a good dad, but you serve God like a boss. So that was the foundation of my walk with God, which is not entirely bad, but it is not also wholly good. And so the Lord had to deal with me over the course of several years he spoke to me supernaturally on two occasions. Uh, once in college, he said, you only, you only serve me out of obligation, out of duty. And I said, yes, that's right. And then as he kind of like let that marinate, I was only 19 or 20, 21, I realized, okay, that's not a compliment. <laughs> it's like, yes, thank you, Lord, for complimenting me. And then I realized, okay, that's oh, the way I'm feeling the Holy Spirit on my life. That's not a good thing. So he began to deal with me about serving him because I love him, which that was hard to do. Uh, just because you're born again doesn't mean you know God. And just because you're born again doesn't mean you love God. You have to grow into both of these things. Think about a baby. Just because that child is your child doesn't mean they know you. And even as they get to know you in your voice, it doesn't mean they love you. And even when your kid begins to say, I love you, that doesn't mean they really know what they're saying yet. They grow into that, and I, I think the older you get, the more your love for your parent grows. So I, I want to encourage you that wherever you're at in Christ, you don't stop there. You get to know God more, and you get to love him more. So then a couple years after that, so that was probably 96, 97. So then in 2002, uh, this lady who the Lord spoke to me and told me was an apostle. She was a missionary to the North African area. Uh, to the Muslims. This is right after 9-11. And so she couldn't tell us where she was a minister to because she's in a lot of danger because of the anti-Islamic hostility because of 9-11. So we're one year past 9-11 when I meet her. She had a word from the Lord for me. And she said, the Lord said to tell you that he loves you as the apple of his eye. And I, I didn't know that was in the Bible. 
It's in the Bible a lot. It's actually where we get the expression. And she said, and he wants you to know there's no amount of preaching you can do to make him love you more. There's no amount of demons you can cast out to make him love you more. There's no amount of prayer or Bible study or doctrine. And she was like hitting all my things I was doing. She said, there's nothing you can do to impress him or make him love you more. He loves you because you're the apple of his eye. And this was the Lord reminding me, I just told you this like six years ago. You forgot already, you know. And so you have to learn to love God and also see that there's times when, yes, he's your host, the captain of the host. He is your commander. He's your master. He is your, the, the husbandman who comes along and prunes you. And then he's your father. And in a home, in a healthy home, you get this. Sometimes he's daddy, but then sometimes it's, he's, the, he's the boss man. You better get out there and cut that grass, boy. You better get in there and help your mother with those dishes. You better get up, pick up that room like I told you to. Oh, wait, daddy is not daddy right now. He is disciplinarian. And if I get this right, we'll go back to tickle fights and G.I. G.I. Joes and Barbie dolls or whatever, depending on what your kid's into. Sometimes if we're not careful, we only see God in one area. And unfortunately, your father and how they were, or even your mother, whoever that paternal figure was, because even in some marriages, you might have both figures, but one is way more dominant than the other. That can really jade how you view God, and you have to come out of that. We, we all had parents, I assume. Maybe some folks had orphans or nuns. Um, is isn't like a nunnery, not like the new classification as a nun. But it doesn't mean mom and dad were right. Somebody told me recently, the more I serve God, the more I realize how messed up my childhood was. And that's a good thing, because then you won't repeat it. But we need to spend time in the Word being mindful that God is a father, and he loves us. And it does help to have kids, and you begin to see the father heart of God. My pastor Darren taught me when I was single, didn't have a wife or children, he's, he would say over and over again, there are certain things you will never know about God unless you have children. He would say it over and over again. And of course, he was still having babies in that stage. And you could tell he was on this massive learning curve. And now that we have our children and they're at different stages of growth, I totally get it. You know, when you're happy with your kids, you just want to buy them anything they look at twice. And, and then at the same time, because you love them so much, you're going to wear that bum out so that they don't end up some kind of fool. And this is just as much love as saying, I will, if your mother will let me son, I will buy you every transformer on this website. <laughs> we just had pastor appreciation. I'll buy the whole website. <laughs> and you get it. I think every person should believe God for a mate and have children. I think if God would bless you with the mate and you can't have children, you should adopt. I think it's selfish to not want to raise children in the kingdom. They're a blessing. Outside of Christ, they're the only inheritance the Bible promises. Children are an inheritance, a legacy. And there are those who won't have kids and they'll die alone. And so that's unfortunate. Psalm 37, verse 4. Well, verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. And good is whatever the Bible defines it to be, not social media or the current political movement. Trust in the Lord and do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. So that's talking about being blessed in your agricultural endeavors. Verse 4, delight yourself also 
in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. So my, my message tonight, I don't know what to call it, but the heart of it is the desires of your life, the desires of your heart. This is a very positive promise right here. Not every promise in the Bible is positive. This one is very positive because it says, if you'll delight in the Lord, which means you please him and, and you're pleased to serve him, then he'll give you the things your heart desires. Now, the understood rule is it's not sinful. You, you delight in the Lord. He's not going to give you vengeance. Vengeance is his. It's not yours. You delight yourself in the Lord. You're not going to want to upgrade your wife for model 2.0 when you're 45 years old. That's weird and perverse. If you delight yourself in the Lord, then your things, your motives, your desires will probably have been submitted to God all along anyway. And so you still want them because walking with the Lord will have purged and pruned your wants. And you no longer want weird things or perverse things or strange things. So one of the things I want to encourage us in tonight, maybe even give permission if you think you need it. What, what things have you been desiring that maybe you've given up on? I'm mindful maybe to quickly jump into one ditch. There are some things the Lord withholds from us because in his sovereignty and his omnipotence, he knows that in six weeks, we're not going to really want it. And we're already having to answer deep theological questions for Lydia. She's like, why doesn't God answer us instantly? I was like, honey, if I answered you instantly, we'd be doing some weird stuff. And I'm your dad. So I'm thankful that the Lord doesn't always answer us instantly. Most of the time, he does not. Because he also knows that within six months or a year, we're not going to really want what we were desperate for anyway. And I think we've all been there where we get past a place where we're like, Lord, I don't want that anymore. And I'm so glad you didn't give it to me. And so there are certain things he holds you out on just to see how bad you want it. And also I'm mindful he holds you out on things just to get you to come to him. One, uh, one minister said to me, you know, if God answered our prayers, would we even seek him anymore? If you got everything you wanted right now, would you have any reason to come back to him? The biblical answer is, yes, I will, Lord. But the truthful answer is maybe not. So there's all sorts of biblical reasons why he doesn't answer every prayer instantly, but that doesn't stop us from asking. And if you have children, you know they are tenacious. Please can I have that? Please can I have that? Please can we do that? No. 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 So now as a dad, I think, do I spank this because it's getting on my nerves or do I let it grow because it might be useful for God one day? I think I'm going to spank this because it's getting on my nerves. <laughs> and tomorrow we'll let it ride a little bit longer. <laughs> but my, my kids have also learned they can harass me almost to submission. But the Lord did say, ask and keep asking. Knock and keep knocking. Seek and keep seeking. Because honestly, there's a, there is a parallel, but it's not quite the same. Your kid's harassing you for ice cream. Please, ice cream. Please, can we have ice cream? No, no, no. Five minutes later. Can we have ice cream now? No. If you ask me again, you will have a bar of soap. <laughs> then can we have ice cream? No, stop. <laughs> but also, I think built into the equation, when you ask, seek, and knock, you grow closer to God, he starts pruning and purging and shaping those things you're asking, seeking, and knocking for. But I want us to start off with this encouraging word that if you'll delight yourself in the Lord, 
And only he can tell you whether that's 100% genuine, true, and accurate. Because you can always hear the religious person say, well, I delight in the Lord. He hasn't answered me yet. All right, if you're getting frustrated with him, you're probably not delighting in him. And delight, you know, you trust in him. You wait upon him. Even if he, Pastor Vaughn would say, even if he never answers another prayer, will you still serve him? That's delighting in the Lord. Even if he never answers you or speaks to you again, if, would you still serve him? Say, Lord, for all that you've ever done, that's enough. I'll serve you to the day I die, and I'll go 25 years without hearing from you like Abraham did, and I'll still serve you. Well, then I think we can invoke this promise. He'll give you the desires of your heart. So that's a positive verse, and it is assumed they're not sinful desires. But to balance it, let's jump to Proverbs 13. Proverbs 13, verse 12. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, or expectation. Remember, when we look at hope in the Bible, it's nothing like American hope. In fact, the Hebrew word for hope is nearly synonymous with faith. And the Greek word for hope basically is expectation, which is also a very close parallel to faith. So we don't read it like the, the, expect or the, um, the uncertain good. I hope we win the lotto. I hope they're there tonight. That's an uncertain good. It's good, but you're not sure if it's going to happen. I hope we don't lose. I sure hope they don't show up. Um, this is a different word. So don't read it as hope in your American vernacular. I would almost entirely encourage you in your Bible study, when you see the word hope, just read expectation expectation deferred, expectation postponed, makes the heart sick. It makes you weak. It, it grieves you. But when the desire comes, New Living Translation says when the dream comes, and you guys know I'm not a big fan of that word, but maybe tonight we'll give some permission and we'll talk about the dream. One of my next books will be Jesus the Dream Killer. I've already got a couple pages written and we're working on the art. It's probably going to be two or three years out. But if we want to use that term loosely tonight, just to kind of give us some breathe room, when the dream comes, it's a tree of life. I like it because the King James says, not if, but when. So it's a certain thing. Expectation deferred or postponed makes the heart sick. So that's the thing you desire. That goes back to Psalms. If you delight in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. But can you endure if it's postponed? I think every one of us, if we're walking with God, there's something we're believing him for because we've been taught faith. Whether we're believing God for the salvation of a loved one, we're believing God for direction, we're believing God for promotion, we're believing God for healing, we're believing God for a mate, we're believing God for that next child or our first child, or maybe for a child to come home to Christ. We're still believing, and it isn't answered yet, so it's postponed, but we're still expecting it because God promised to give us the desires of our heart and our desires are based on his word. So faith really does test and see, can you, will you maintain your joy and trust even though it hasn't come to pass yet? And that's where we go back to our father and say, Lord, you said, Lord, you said, father, your word says the prodigal can return. Father, you said you'd heal all my sickness and disease. Father, you said you'd supply my needs. Father, you said you'd give me wisdom. Just like all of our kids say, daddy, you said, daddy, you said, daddy, you said, daddy, you said. And sometimes your kids will help you learn not to overcommit or make too many rash promises. And I would encourage you, 
for us parents who are still at home, have our kids at home parenting, maybe we should start paying those rash vows to our children to show them what it means to keep your word and also to teach ourselves not to overcommit. Because we want our kids to trust our God. We want our kids to think God is a little bit like us or that maybe we're more like God so that as they grow up on their own, they don't have a weird sense of what a father is. Yeah, I know my God. He's like my dad. Well, really, my dad was like God. My dad kept his word. He made a promise. I took it to him and reminded him, and he brought it to pass. And that's what God said he would do. Years ago when I worked, <laughs> I worked for a very wealthy businessman, and he collected muscle cars. And I worked out at his farm, and uh, his oldest son, his name was Josh, Joshua. Joshua, if he was in trouble, Josh, if he was a good kid. So the boss man was out there and uh, doing a bunch of bulldozer work. And I happened to be hanging, Josh was hanging out with me, I was doing work, and his dad was out there, bulldozers working. And to rent a bulldozer is expensive. To pay an operator 30, 40 bucks an hour, this is 30 years ago. But this man was wealthy. And Josh says, Dad, yes, son, you told me you'd build me a go-kart track. And this pagan dad said, I sure did, didn't I, son? Yeah, dad, you said when you had the dozer out here, you'd build me a goat cart track. Yeah, I did. So he whistles at the dozer operator. Hey, we need, a go we need to get a go-kart track built right here. Take care of that. Yes, sir. So he just left it there, and they built a go-kart track. And it was banked, and it, it was bold, so they put irrigation in it so it wouldn't be a pond. And just because the boy reminded his rich dad, Dad, you said, the dad said, you're right. My boy needs a go-kart track. Make it work. And I'm, I'm in college, and I went, that's how God is. If he promised it from his Bible. I mean, these guys were pagans. I led the son to Christ later. He's my first convert. This pagan dad, he was a good man, but he wasn't saved. If he would hold his promise to his word, having all resources and money was an issue, what is it to him to make this man work another 10 hours? Nothing. Uh, if he would make a, fulfill a promise for his kid, wouldn't our father do the same thing? Now, maybe your daddy wasn't that way. And that's why you say, Lord, I've been given a new father. Thank you for the dad that sired me. Maybe he was there. Maybe he wasn't. But I'm not going to relate to you like he related to me because that would be unjust towards you, God. So, Father, teach me what a real dad is so I can be one to my own kid. And may my kid not get the scumbag I had. Because some of you, you're sitting there going, it's hard for you to hear that because you didn't have it. Well, don't relive it and don't give it to your kid as an inheritance. Be the dad you never had. But that only comes by getting to know your God. And it might be good for some of you, I don't know, to get around some of these families that the moms and dads are in unity and dad is still there. And dad is serving God and leading his wife and, and being a father to his children just so you can know what real looks like. Just so you can see what normal looks like. Because we're trying to get every generation better than the previous one. So he says, when the desire comes or when the dream, that thing you wanted, when it comes, it is a tree of life. A tree of life, it doesn't just bear fruit once, it bears fruit every year. 
It's a tree of life. It just keeps producing and producing and producing and producing. And that's when the Lord, he's honored and glorified because he gave it to you. And every time you sit in that car you needed, you say, Lord, thank you. It's a tree of life. You sit in that house he brought only he could bring you into. He gives you that baby. And now that's that third one or the fourth one or the second one or the first one. You say, Lord, thank you for this baby. It becomes a tree of life that keeps bringing thanksgiving back to him. What about verse 19 of the same chapter? The desire accomplished. So we're talking about desire. The desire accomplished is sweet to the soul. So some desires are things you have to do. So let's, let's kind of change it up a little bit. Not every desire is something you believe God for. Some desires you believe God for the help to accomplish. Uh, one of the things we had to kind of clean up in this ministry and prune over the years is coming out of a word of faith revival where we believe God for everything and, and, and we're being led by the Holy Spirit and we didn't do anything unless the Holy Spirit said. And we really just got in a ditch. And then the last six or seven years of Pastor Vaughn's life, he had cancer and was on a lot of drugs and his body was shutting down. So he wasn't entirely sharp. So things grow weird when the gardener can't prune. I don't say that to belittle him. He was my spiritual father and my first pastor but it's just a reality. So we had to prune some things. One of the things I learned when I took over the church is that the kingdom advances one checklist item at a time. And somebody said, well, how, do you, how does your church grow? I said, one quarter inch to-do item at a time. I spend time in prayer, it populates a to-do list, and this ministry, my marriage, our life, in part advances one crossed out line item at a time because the desire accomplished is sweet to the soul. There are two types of people in life, those with plans and those with systems. And you can have plans and that's all they stay. Or you can have a system that accomplishes those plans. Another way to say it is plan your work and then work your plan. So there are some desires that God gives us in our hand to accomplish. We believe him for the anointing. We believe him for the wisdom. We believe him for the ability. And then we go do. One of the reasons welfare can become incredibly wicked is that it completely takes away from mankind the ethics of work. But Adam and Eve were created to work. The promised land of God, the land flowing with milk and honey, required labor. And if they didn't work, neither would they eat. He said, those, whole, those hills have gold in them, but you have been given the power to get it. So we reject socialism entirely. We reject welfare almost completely. Miss Chris, you were on welfare for a season. Are you there now? Nope. How long has it been since you came off welfare? Long time. Yeah. And, and see, so you're still working and starting a ministry in your almost 70. Yeah. So there's part of the desires we have that we have to go do. And so you've got to figure out what those are so that you can go knock them out. Uh, let's look at Proverbs chapter, excuse me, Matthew 20. Because this might be a, 
a clarion call. And maybe if I were to flip it up and be very Pastor Chris, because I don't feel very Pastor Chris right now. This feels too encouraging. I feel like I'm hugging too much, and that feels real weird. <laughs> we'll come back and maybe give a little bit of a word of warning or exhortation. Matthew 20. This might be an encouraging word, and then I'll ask us a few questions. Matthew 20. Let's begin in verse 30. Behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside. I like King James says, behold. It's like, look, there's two blind guys. I said, behold. Look at those two blind guys sitting by the wayside. How do you know they're blind? It's pretty easy to tell. You can tell what's wrong with people. I got tickled a couple years ago. We were driving down the interstate, and there was some inmates picking up trash. Lydia must have been about four. And she saw him and she said, huh, jail people. <laughs> That's just that little giggle, huh, jail people. How can you tell, sweetie? Look like jail people. Stripes, vests, picking up trash, which is what jail people should do. Probably their beer bottles from that last DUI. I'm not the type of person that thinks you should coddle convicted criminals. Amen. And neither would a politician if they were the subject and victim of crime. Most of our politicians are verifiable morons who have no contact with reality and somehow come out of office 10 times wealthier than they went in. Both Republicans and Democrats. So behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside. When they heard, they couldn't see, so they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. Now, what are the odds? Jesus could have taken any road. Maybe they're sitting here because this is the crossroads to panhandle because that's what they're doing. They're holding out alms. That is alms deeds, alms giving. You give to the poor. These are genuinely poor people. If you want to know who to give welfare to, it's someone who's blind who can't work. If you got two arms, two legs, two eyes, get a job. Amen. They heard that Jesus happened to be walking by. So you know they've heard stories. And so here he is. Like, you know, they're blind. So you got to put yourself in their shoes, their, in their seat. This is him. He's by. He, this is the guy that heals eyes and fixes bodies. Never thought he'd pass our way. But here he is. What a day. So they began to cry out. Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And the multitude rebuked them because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And Jesus stood still and called them. So they got to kind of come to the, where the Lord is. He doesn't go to them. Now, doesn't that feel like that's ableist? That new term we just made up? It's a blind people. Well, they got there some way or another, so come to me now. You got where you are? Go further. So Jesus calls them to him. He doesn't go to them. You called me. What do you want? I'm telling you, we have made Jesus into some socialistic welfare sugar daddy, and he still expects even the blind and the lame to do something. So he calls them to him. And Jesus stood still. 
You got my attention, now what? Come to me. I mean, he doesn't go and kneel beside them and say, oh, oh, that's so bad. I don't see blind people. (laughs) Man, our society is verifiable, insane. He stood still and called them. And then he says to them, what do you want me to do for you? Now, the obvious observation is, duh. Didn't you see us trip over each other to get to you? But the Lord doesn't know. Maybe they have a baby at home sick of the palsy. Maybe they have a child grievously vexed of a devil. Maybe mama's got a fever. The Lord doesn't know. So part of our desires are we cry out to God, and he still expects us to come to him and voice it. And there's some distance we have to cover between us and him. And when we get to him, why did he just stay there and say, no, 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 don't get up. I can tell you guys are blind. What is it? He still requires them to get up off their duff and come and present themselves in front of him. They call him Lord, treat him like it. They want mercy, come and get some. No welfare here. No socialist handout here. I mean, doesn't that seem a little cruel to you that he's asking blind people who could, if there's a ditch between where they're sitting and the road, they could fall in it. He doesn't seem to care. You got here, come to me now. Isn't it amazing that in our society, folks can do what's important to them, but if it's not important to them, they want us to do for them. That's selfish. Pastor Vaughn once said years ago, the most selfish people on the planet are those that expect everybody else to take care of them. That's not the kingdom. We bear the burdens. And once you're strong enough, you help us bear the burdens. And they said unto him, verse 30, Lord, that our eyes may be open. So there's this element of desire that says you got to keep talking to God. Yes, he knows what you have need of, but he's still going to call you a little bit closer. Lord, we need healing. Well, come to me. Lord, we need healing. Come to me. Come closer. Okay, what is it you want? I want my eyes. But isn't it almost, I don't like this expression, but it's almost a blank check. What do you want me to do for you? It could have been anything. Thankfully, their desire lined up with God's word. If they'd have said, we want vengeance, you know he'd have put a parable out. If they'd have said, somebody owes me money, he'd have put a parable out. That's how the Lord operated. But he was the healer. And so because he's in line with himself as the word of God, he healed their eyes. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. I think that might be the other key to receiving our desires is, can you say genuinely, once the Lord answers you, will you still follow him? I love how Matthew includes it. Their eyes open and they follow after him. They don't turn aside and say, woohoo, got what I wanted, got my blessing on. I came to get my blessing right now. And then do what with it? A lot of folks Jesus had to heal. And when he did heal, he had to say, now go and sin no more. He didn't have to say it to these guys because I think he knew they weren't going to go anywhere else. 
Have you noticed in the gospel, some he'd say, go and sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. He doesn't say that to everybody, but I've got to believe by the word of knowledge, him being God, he knows I'm going to heal you and you're going back to where you came from. But these two men, he doesn't say that because he knows they're going to follow him. Can you and I declare if God gave me everything I was asking him for, I'd still get up tomorrow and live my life for him like I was today. When my wife and I, we pray every day, there's things we believe in God for. The more kids you have, the more things you have to believe God for, cry out for. We tell the Lord, Lord, you know we got other things to pray about. And you know that if you go ahead and give this to us, we're going to be right back here tomorrow night praying again. So it just kind of seems the reason if you go ahead and answer this, we can move on to other prayer requests. And we do say that, don't we, honey? That's just maybe not that kind of satirical or sarcastic, but that's the, those are the words exactly. Lord, you know we're not going anywhere. So maybe in trying to receive the things you desire, because your father wants to give them to you if they line up with the word, if he answers everything, you're still going to be here Sunday morning? I was telling a couple today we were meeting about relationship stuff. I said, years ago in this church, uh, folks would believe God for a mate. Someone would show up at the church, begin to serve. They'd get married and then disappear. One of the reasons Alan Hawkins is our drummer is because the previous drummer got married and disappeared. We benefited from that tremendously, I think. The previous drummer was a great guy, but he got what he wanted and then didn't need God anymore. Can you say that if God gave me everything I desired, I'd still want him more? So one or two of my questions tonight, and maybe, maybe you, most of you are note takers. So maybe to be honest with God, as I encourage you tonight to reactivate your desires or your dreams, if we use that term loosely tonight, what, it, what is it you desire? What is it you're desiring from God? What is it you need God to do? What is it you're seeking God for? You found a promise in the word and you knew that's for me. And that's for this situation. What is that desire? Maybe write it down. And it's okay if there's 10 or 20 of them. What's that thing that presses on your heart? What's that thing that should the Lord Jesus Christ manifest on this platform tonight and look at you with eyes of compassion and say, what is it you want me to do for you? What's the first thing you tell them? And because that's the, that's the compulsion of your heart. That's the thing that burns in your heart the most. And he knows what it is. But do you still talk to him about it? Do you still say, Lord, show me, is this wrong, Lord? Is this, I've got five verses for it. I've got 25 verses for it. Lord, this is the thing that's heavy on my heart. And at the same time, be willing to let him speak to you about whatever that thing is. Maybe there's something he wants to speak to you about. Maybe there's another way he wants to get it to you. Maybe there's something you don't see. Uh, sometimes we get frustrated. Lord, uh, some of you, your, your heart is, Lord, why am I still single? Well, when the desire finally comes, you'll understand why you were still single. And you'll say, thank God I was still single. But right now, in an emotion of loneliness or fear, you don't understand. But that's why we trust God. And that's why you'd say, Lord, I still trust you. I don't get it all, but I still trust you. Here, that's why you might say, Lord, you're my father, but right now I'm your servant. Tell me what you'd have me to do. And he might say, stop, son. Stop, daughter. I don't want you to be my servant right now. I want you to be my child. 
What are your desires? And I would encourage you to write them down. I want my baby healed. And we want that second child or that third child. Lord, I need, I need more money to care for my family. Or Father, I need a mate. I really want a mate. Lord, I need this healing. Lord, I need wisdom. Lord, I need that prodigal to come home. Lord, I need, I need this to turn. I need my marriage fixed. Lord, I need to get a hold of my mouth. These are the things I believe we're seeking God for. I need peace in my mind and control over my emotions. But let me also throw out there, is your desire for that greater than your desire for God? Because the first verse we looked at was when you delight in the Lord. How much do you desire God? And do you desire to be with him? Do you desire to be like Christ? One of the shameful things that the word of faith produced was selfish Christianity. Now, I do not denounce foundational faith doctrine. Foundational faith doctrine says if God's word says it, it's God's will. If God's word makes a promise, God is not a man that he should lie. And if God's word says it, then I can have it. And that even goes for the bad promises. Like if you denounce God, he'll cut you off. That's a promise too, and you can have that. I don't denounce that doctrine, but a lot of other things uh, that were emphasized pushed weird stuff into the body of Christ, and it fed on American greed and American materialism, and so we started using God as our sugar daddy, and we somehow thought we could maybe manipulate the Lord of glory to being our step and fetch it, our gopher, our slave, and that's wrong, and you all know it. But it doesn't diminish the fact that God is a God of our supply. He's a father who wants to give us our heart's desire, assuming they're right. So with all of the things we desire, assuming they're all pure, you have to stop and weigh yourself and your motives and say, but through all that, do I still desire God? How much do I desire God? Through this all, do I desire Christ above all? Is he my reward and not just the reward, the reward? If knowing him, having his presence, is that it? Or is stuff the whole reason I seek God? Because I, I believe our greatest desire should be to know God and to be Christ-like. And as an extension of that, we're going to make him known. And if your greatest desire is to be Christ-like, everything else will begin to shuffle into place pretty quickly. We don't serve God or chase after God for political reasons. We don't chase after Jesus Christ for social reasons or social change. We need revival, not a political movement. Amen. The body of Christ is being called upward into a deeper place with him, and it all comes back to our motives. He wants to bless us. He wants to answer our cry. If those desires we have are based in the word, he wants to give it to us. But is it going to spoil us? Years ago, I, I served a pastor, uh, Pastor Trey. I was his youth pastor for two years, and he was starting to have kids in those days. I was in my late 20s. He was in his mid-30s. And so his son probably is married now. Um, but I, I, I got to be around him in his home, which was such a blessing for me as a young man. I got to watch him parent. And he, Pastor Trey was an engineer, so he was really analytical, and he was really good with numbers. Actually, he was a tech grad, too. He was an industrial engineer grad. So he was, he was, I don't want to say he was tight with money, but as an engineer, everything was meticulous. And I learned a lot of good things from him in that regard. But I watched that kid spoil his son. I'm like, just buy that kid everything. And I said, Pastor Trey, are you worried you're going to spoil him? He said, nope. 
I said, why? He said, because as soon as I come home, he throws it all down and runs towards me and says, Daddy. And as long as he'll throw it down and run towards me and say, Daddy, I'll buy him anything else he wants because he's not spoiled yet. And that stuck with me because it wasn't a matter of junk and answered wants don't spoil people. A heart is what spoils a person. David had the world and wanted Jesus, the Lord. He didn't know him as Jesus yet. And that's what made him a man after God's own heart. And so the second your kid becomes a brat, you got to dry up the goods. You have to, especially in our generation, we have to make sure we don't spoil our children. We have to teach them how blessed we are. A lot of you old timers, I count myself in the old crew, we came out of religion, we came out of poverty. I didn't come out of poverty, but came out of religious stuff. We, we came into the move of the Holy Ghost, and our kids will never know what we fought for. We're handing it to them on a silver platter. And we have to make sure they learn the price we paid financially, if we came up out of poverty, materially, spiritually. We have to make sure they understand how blessed they are. And I tell my older kids, sweetie, you have no idea how blessed you are. And now my oldest says, you're right, daddy, I don't. So I drive them through the poor parts of town to say, this is what poverty looks like. Why are they poor, daddy? Well, for a lot of different reasons, sweetie. And then I teach my kids, why are we blessed? Well, because we serve God. So what happens if we ever stop serving God, sweetie? We lose blessings. Absolutely. So are we going to stop serving God? No. And not just because we're blessed. We don't quit serving God because we don't quit serving God. He's the reason we have everything. And so I want you to be encouraged that God doesn't have a problem giving you anything, but you got to make sure you seek him first. That's what Matthew 6 promises. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, then what happens? All these things that the Gentiles seek after shall be added unto you. For your father knows that you have need of these things. But so I want you to be encouraged that your father in heaven wants to answer your heart's cry, whatever it may be. You're a well-taught church, so I don't think anybody here has weird, perverted wants. And you probably already know if you do, he's not answering you. But maybe as another marker over here. Let's make sure that if he answers us, we don't get spoiled over it. Pastor Barclay told a story years ago. I don't know if he still tells it. I, I heard him tell it in SMTI. I took SMTI 20 years ago. And so when I watched the recordings, they look old to me. So they were probably recorded in the late 80s. So he talked about some years prior the men in the church got together. They wanted to bless them, and they bought them a Rolex. A couple of the businessmen, they just wanted to bless their pastor. I don't remember what model it was, maybe the executive or the presidential. I'm not a Rolex guy. And so he was blessed. That might have been a $20,000 watch. It's a lot of money for a watch. Maybe it's less than that in the 80s. I don't really know. Don't care. And so he wore it. He was honored to wear it. And he said, though, he was at a meeting and somebody, a minister commented and said, oh, doc, I see you got the Rolex presidential. He said, yeah, yeah, my men chipped in. They wanted to bless me and they bought me this watch. And the, the minister said, yep, my, uh, my ministry is about to the place now where I deserve one of those. And Dr. Barclay, he said, ah, oh. and he said he slipped it off, put it in his pocket. And he said, I ain't ever wearing that guy again. He said, I will be nothing like that. So he said, I purpose that when I got home, I talked to those men and say, is this my watch? Yes, sir. Can I do anything I want to with it? Yes, sir. He said, I'm selling it and putting the money in the ministry because I'm going to be nothing 
like that guy. Spoiled brat. Why, why would let a watch send you to hell with that kind of attitude? All right. So before I kind of give you this exhortation and maybe a, a hint of warning, you've got your desires written down. Hopefully you talk to the Lord about them every day anyway, so you know them pretty well. So we've talked about don't be a brat about it. We've talked about don't get discouraged. We've talked about making sure you desire God more than anything and to be Christ-like. But coming back to this hope deferred, it's real easy to give up. And sometimes it's easier to say, well, I didn't want that anyway. And when we do that, we go from conquering faith to simply coping. And our pastor in Indy, Pastor Tim, he would always harp and preach, and I loved it. He said, we've not been called to cope. We've been called to conquer. And anytime you give up on your expectation and your faith, you have determined to cope. I'll just cope with the prodigal. I'll just cope with the illness. I'll just cope with the poverty. I'll just cope being an ignoramus rather than receiving wisdom. I'll just cope with a horrible marriage. I'll just cope with this horrible. No, you don't get to cope, but we'll do it because it's easier and we'll make the excuse. Well, I didn't really want it anyway. Yeah, you do. Don't lie. That's a coping mechanism to save face and to act like it doesn't hurt because it just pride. So you're better off. Remember blind Bartimaeus. What? Come here. You got my attention. Come here. <laughs> that ought to kind of terrify us. What happens if we cry out to God and we actually get a hold of him in the spirit? I mean, can you imagine there's a whole entourage moving with the Lord? He stops the whole entourage and hones in on two blind guys. And they can't tell he's looking at them. You know, not making fun of, but you know, why is it quiet? Why is it quiet, Bartimaeus? I don't know. Let's try it again. Jesus, I heard you. All right, come here. Then everybody's got to get out of the way because there's a law that says you don't trip blind people. <laughs> Might have been just for that moment. Leviticus chapter 19, you don't trip blind people. Get out of the way. We're going to go to hell instead of see a miracle. If he says, what do you want tonight? You better be able to dust off that lame thing you've been coping with and say, this is what I want, Lord. Forgive me for giving up on it. Forgive me for giving up on that thing that you've wanted to give me. Church, I'm convinced God allows drought to come so that our roots will go deeper. And there are seasons where he doesn't answer us just to see, will you serve me in good time or a bad time as well? Are you a fair weather servant or will you believe me, trust me, even though nobody around you likes me? Like I've told you, it's easy to serve God in revival, which is why we don't live in them. And we don't chase revival. We chase God. I remember years ago when the revival in Brownsville was happening, and I wasn't against it. I wanted to go to it. Most of my friends went. I remember Pastor Vaughn saying, that's great. We're not chasing God. We have him here. And I said, I was a Baptist boy, just newly spirit-filled. I thought, I don't know. That just feels really cool. Yeah, we don't chase God. We have him here every Sunday. Great for that. People need that. But if you got to go down there to get it, it's because you're not getting it here. Amen. So let's go to Ecclesiastes. We're going to throw this one up on the jumbotron. 
Because I want to encourage you, do not give up on your desire. And if I were to give you a warning about it, it will be that you only have so much time in life. So I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. Let's go Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1. Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. That might be a good place to start. Because what Ecclesiastes is about to go on to say is don't forget your God. Remember him, remember him, remember him. Honor him in your youth before you grow old and say, life is not pleasant anymore. Stop there. Young people, you got to learn to serve God now because if you'll learn to serve God now, he'll be all you know. And you'll have a much healthier old age and you'll live longer and have a better life and a better marriage and better kids and you'll actually glorify him. If you hadn't noticed, the woke crowd is not happy. They're not, well, they're mad at us, but they're not happy just in life. The, the whole liberal, progressive, social agenda, social justice crowd, they're not a happy soul among them. They're not even happy with each other. They don't even trust each other. They're trying to bring about some kind of good apart from God. We don't forget God. And all that we do, Jesus Christ comes first. Verse 2, remember him before the light of the sun, moon, and stars is dim to your old eyes, and rain clouds continually darken your sky. That's kind of a poetic, miserable way to look at it. And the rain clouds continually darken your sky. I guess it means your eyes are dim and you don't see good. Keep remembering your God because you only get so much time. Verse 3, remember him before your legs. The guards of your house start to tremble. And before your shoulders, the strong men stoop. Remember him before your teeth. Your few remaining servants stop grinding. This is horrible poetry. And before your eyes, the women looking through the windows see dimly. It's equating your body to a temple. Uh, we believe God for long life and health and strength, but at some point your body just has to take the dirt nap and lay down and you be gathered to your fathers. Verse 4, remember him before the door to life's opportunities is closed. Now that's worth pausing on. You only have so many opportunities and so much life to get it done in. I was telling somebody today, maybe this week, I don't know, it all runs together. You only have, uh, society is not equal, never will be. Not in heaven, not in the millennial reign. So let's just get that through our little woke skull. There's no such thing as equity. Not in the eyes of God, never has been, never will be. So you can march for it, but you ain't going to get it because it's spiritually impossible. We're all worth the same, but we're not all the same. So apart from your culture, your society, you have folks that are mentally handicapped and mentally challenged. And I don't know what the PC term is because I don't stay on that website. But you know what I'm saying. Low IQ, low performers. And that's, so that's one segment you disregard in this case study. And then you have the high performers, you know, your savants and your Mensa leaders, whatever. The rest of us are pretty much in between here, right? Functioning members of society. I think anybody can go to college and get a degree if they want to. Everybody else being genuinely 
equal. We don't all accomplish the same things in life because we don't all live life the same. Not even in this church. We have to remember God before the door to life's opportunities is closed because there comes a point when you no longer have the energy to fight. There comes a time when you no longer have the mental acuity to create. There comes a time when you just don't care anymore. Neurology, neuroscience proves it out that men, as they age, their brains continue to change shape. They're not as aggressive as they used to be. They become grandfatherly. They're just like, eh. Unless there's some old crotchety redneck on a hill with a Confederate flag and a shotgun just asking somebody to take the wrong turn. <laughs> just wanting to do the stand their ground rule. I just... just that, yeah, that guy's half demonized and liquored up. Probably in Jackson County. <laughs> Remember him. We don't all accomplish the same thing because we don't all live equally. So most of inequity is self-inflicted. If you sleep 10 hours a day, you're never going to keep up with me because I sleep five hours. I get caught up maybe on Saturdays or Sundays, but most of my sleep is I go to bed 12, 30, 1 o'clock. Workout days, I'm up at 5 o'clock. Non-workout days, I might be up at 6, 30 or 7. Still go to bed 12, 30, 1 o'clock. I might sleep in a little bit on Sundays, but I don't have to be up before 7 anyway. So, but I still go to bed 12, 30, 1 o'clock. So never mind. I sleep about 6 hours a night. If you sleep 10 or 12 hours a day, you'll never catch up with me because you sleep twice as much as I do. So you can't call that a social inequity. It's a lazy inequity. And it's your fault, not mine. I was taught a work ethic, but you can be taught one on your first job at Chick-fil-A. These, these, these verses in Ecclesiastes are telling us there's only so much time. There's only so much time. There's only so much time. We don't have time to give up on our desires. All right, let's keep reading. Remember him before the door to life's opportunities is closed and the sound of work fades. Now you rise at the first chirping of the birds, but then all their sounds will grow faint. You're just deaf. You used to get up when the birds were chirping, and now, oh, what's that? <laughs> this is kind of a depressing passage in Ecclesiastes. Verse 5, remember him before you become fearful of falling, Amy. And... <laughs> <laughs> she has a life alert bracelet. Marlon bought her 15 years ago when she turned 70. <laughs> Somebody on the stream, Amy, said, Why text me? Why do you always pick on that Amy lady? <laughs> to wake her up. <laughs> Remember God before you become fearful of falling. And worry about danger in the streets before your hair turns white like an almond tree in blossom and you drag along without energy like a dying grasshopper. <laughs> and the caperberry no longer inspires sexual desire. Now that, that's honestly what I was aiming towards. The caperberry is a known aphrodisiac. Um, it's the capers that you know of, the little spices that you put in vinegar, the little caper berries. That's what it's talking about. Caperus spinosa in the Latin. It is a known aphrodisiac. But what strikes me about this is 
if it's an aphrodisiac, or we might even say an old-school erectile dysfunction pill, the human sex drive is a very strong drive. It's driven through emotions. It's driven through mental daydreams. It's driven through hormones. And there comes a time when that strong desire fades that not even medical help can prop it up. There comes a time when you no longer desire the most elementary of desires. This whole passage is a warning that you're running out of time. Because there comes a place where you just give up out of heartlessness, hopelessness. Your, your hope is deferred. Your expectation is deferred. And you just think, eh, what's the use? My, my warning, my exhortation, my encouragement tonight is if the Lord has me teaching on this, all real sweet and feel like I got baby bunnies in my pockets and chickadees. I feel like I should be yelling at you or something. If God has me warning us or encouraging us, what is it you want? What is it you've been seeking him for? He still hears those cries. Revelation and the Old Testament tell us that he collects our prayers in a jar. And I almost wonder if he's like, come on, just a few more hours and the jar will be full. And then do you know what happens when the jar is full? I sure don't. I'm asking you. Do you know what happens? We know that those prayers are poured out back into heaven. And we give up before it's accomplished. So the exhortation is dust off those desires. Because you'll get to a place where you just don't care anymore. And when you just don't care anymore, you don't even know what you missed out on. Because you never had it. And that becomes a self-inflicted balm. Well, you know, I'm older now. It doesn't matter. Ah, I'll never know what I missed out on. But God wants you to know it. So we don't have permission to give up. Remember him before you near the grave, your everlasting home, when the mourners will weep at your funeral. Yes, remember your creator now while you were young, before the silver cord of life snaps and the golden bowl is broken. Don't wait until the water jar is smashed at the spring and the pulley is broken at the well. God wants to answer our prayers. He promised us in Matthew, ask, seek, knock. For every man that asks and keeps asking, it'll be answered. Everyone seeks and keeps seeking. They'll find everyone that knocks and keeps knocking. It shall be opened unto him. So the encouragement tonight is God wants to answer our prayers. There's whatever we're believing him for. And I don't know what everybody's desire is, but dust it off. Know that he's exhorting you tonight to go seek him. Don't come to me. I don't want to know. Seek him. Get in his face politely, obviously. He's God. I don't think you can ever be rude to him. You'll know when you've crossed the line. <laughs> but go into his presence boldly. He is the father, like my pagan boss, who said, you're right, son, I promised you to make a racetrack. I never saw dad make his kid a racetrack and used a D4 dozer to do it. <laughs> Even with an irrigation pipe. Put him in remembrance. Lord, you said, Father, I don't want to irritate you, but I'm going to read all the scriptures I have on this promise you gave me and go through all 70 of them and pray them every night. I'm reminded that the angel appeared to Cornelius and said, Cornelius, your alms and your prayers have come up before God as a memorial. So apparently that's what happens to our prayers. They're brought before God and, and God has to do something with them. I don't like the charismatic doctrine that God doesn't hear pagans when they pray. 
because that verse contradicts that. Cornelius, not born again. An angel appears to him. He has a theophany, a divine appearance. He's working in the gifts of the Spirit called uh, discerning of spirits. Your, your alms and your prayers have come up before God as a memorial. Here's what you go do to get what you're looking for. He got his prayers answered. A pagan. His prayers were salvation, but he still got it, and God arranged people to bring it to him. And if God will do that for a centurion occupying Israel, God didn't seem to have a problem with occupation of invading armies because he was saving the soldiers. And he didn't look to Cornelius and say, start a revolution. He said, go seek for one Peter at Simon the Tanner's house, and he will give you words whereby ye and your whole household shall be saved. If he'll answer that man, he'll answer his own kids. But do you have any prayers and alms that can come up before God as a memorial? Because I think we all do. So you just keep loading it up uh, to the Lord says, what was that over there? Obviously he knows, but how does it happen in heaven? We have only windows. But you keep seeking God and bringing your desires before him. And you can use these verses tonight. Lord, you said, if I delight you, you want to give me the desires of my heart. And if I'm not delighting you, show me how to change that so I can delight you because I want these desires. I want you, Lord, but I sure would like these desires too. I believe, Lord, you showed me those desires in the Word to whet my appetite, to make me hungry for them because you wanted to give them to me. I'll be honest with you. I went to Walmart today, kind of unlawfully, because my wife just told me I couldn't spend any more money. But my boy's into Dinobots, Transformers. I said, which one do you want? He said, all of them. I said, if you can only have one for Christmas, which one do you want? He said, I want the two of them. I said, now, this wasn't when I had Dinobots as a kid. They have a new, the same five Dinobots now can combine to a giant robot called Volcanicus. So I found that today and I showed him. It's sold out, so it's not like I could illegally spend money on it and buy it for him. So I said, okay, bud, you can only have one. He said, one for my birthday? Because it's two weeks before Christmas. I said, okay, one for your birthday, one for Christmas. He said, okay, I want the five that becomes the one. (laughs) That alone makes me want to go find it, even if it's a thousand bucks online and buy it, because that's brilliant. That's a smart kid. You want to reward that kind of smarts. So he doesn't go into politics and waste that knowledge. So, in, so I went to Walmart to see if I could find anything, but I saw he likes trucks, and I found a new Transformer truck, and I purposely sent a picture to whet his appetite so he would want something so I could buy it for him. You, you, Chad, you do it. You're like, my boy would like this, but he doesn't even know it exists yet. So let me show it to him just so he'll see it, and then he'll say, Lord, I can have that, and the Lord will say, yes, you can, and I want to give it to you. That's what our God does to us because he's our father. If you've ever been a good dad or a good mom, you know it's easy to spend a lot of money on your kids. And as long as they come running to you, Daddy, come play with me, you'll buy whatever he wants. Mommy, come play dolls with me. You'll buy whatever she wants for those baby dolls. And then you'll do things for them they don't even know they need, and they'll never even be able to tell you thank you, but you did it anyway because you love them so much. That's the God 
we serve. So keep pressing into his presence because I believe he wants to give us these things that we've been seeking them for. Amen? Amen.